little bit of time in God's word this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the wisdom that's found in your word. And we ask that as we look into your word to see what what you have for us this morning, we ask that your spirit would be moving in our hearts, working in our hearts, uh, molding us and shaping us more to be like your son, Jesus Christ. May we have the attitude that unless we are taught by you, we are not taught at all, and that you are the most important thing, that following you and knowing you is the most important thing. So keep our eyes focused on the main things, and help us not be so easily distracted or twitterpated by the things that are flashy around us, but help us stay focused on your son, Jesus. We thank you and love you. In your son's name, amen. So, as I've, as I've spent time in the ministry, spent time as a believer, as I'm growing up into an adult, I have realized that it is always better to follow the Lord. That is always the best thing to do. Even if you're the only one doing it, it's always the best policy. Even if it means it's going to cost you, it's always the best. It is always better to follow the Lord. It's unfortunate that in my own life, and I don't know if this is just because I'm getting older and I'm hearing people talk more, more people are coming to talk to me, or if this is just becoming the new way that people think But I've heard so many people say, and there's even times I've even said this, where God wants me to be happy, and I'm going to do the thing that makes me happy. I'm sure that the Lord does care that we are happy and satisfied in him. I don't think the Lord is a giant RA up in heaven, and if we have any fun or any laughter, he comes down and he punishes us severely. I don't think that's that's the picture we get of God. But I do know this, God is, there's a lot more things in this world than us having a good time. There's a lot of things that I have desires to do, and those are not good desires. I have plenty of good desires, and I go about it the wrong way. And when I do that, I I kind of sabotage myself. There's this self-inflicted pain and this self-inflicted problems that I do, right? So... You have the right way to go, and then there's this wrong way to go, and the whole time you're doing that, you're like shooting your foot with a nail gun, right? You're just constantly causing pain and inflicting pain to yourself. This morning in this text, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to see this in a very drastic way. The wise, they they attempt to follow God's word, and as they attempt to follow God's word, they're going to see God's grace. They're going to observe it. They're going to see, observe God's grace in their life. They're going to see how the Lord takes care of them. And it's always going to turn out better than the alternative. That's what the wise people do. We're going to see this in Proverbs 18, verses 22 to chapter 19, verse 1. Then at 19, verse 2 to verse 7, we're going to see something else. We're going to see these self-inflicting problems and pains. This is basically the lifestyle of the foolish, and they're constantly self-inflicting themselves with, with all of these problems and pains and hurts. So let's first look at 
when we follow God's word, God's grace and God's favors, we, we observe it. And we see how the Lord takes care of us. Just notice in verse 22 of Proverbs 18, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, this is not a verse that says, if you're a single man, go get married right now. Find any woman that is breathing and marry her. That is not what is said here. The implication is he who finds a wife, the implication is this is a godly wife. This is a godly woman. This is a woman who knows the Lord and fears the Lord. And it says that when someone, when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. This good is, it's pleasant, it's incredible. As a man who's married to whom I think is a godly woman, it is incredibly pleasant. There are numerous fights that we've never had. And when I hear people talk about fights, I go, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never fought over that. It's incredibly pleasant. I enjoy coming home, right? I enjoy spending time with my wife, right? That's good. And, and uh, that, that's, a, that's one of the good benefits of a godly wife. One of the other benefits, uh, not only is it pleasant, but it's, it's beneficial. I, I trust my wife. I'm one of those guys that I give her the credit card and say, go buy what you want. Go do what you want. Because I know I trust her. She's not going to do anything crazy or silly. Or, and if she does, oh well. I've done plenty of crazy things. You know, I always thought I was a good judge of character, and I did because I chose my wife. I also think my wife is a terrible judge of character because she married me. But I trust her, right? And it's beneficial. There's things that I, that I, I say to her, hon, I'm going to, I need you to do this, and she does it. This is great. It's attractive. People look at a godly couple, and they see how a godly couple interacts with each other, the way that God has intended for it to be. And, and isn't that an attractive thing to others? Like, haven't you seen a godly couple as they interact with each other? You just go, I really want that. That's really attractive. Not only that, it honors God, Right? That, that's what it does. It honors God. The, the temptation, even probably even at this time and in our own time, the temptation is to find a woman, right? But, but a woman who benefits someone in a particular way, right? So like in the ancient world, they did arrange marriages. So obviously, family connections was a huge thing. I think today, uh, right or wrong, the way that we have courtship in our country and our culture Unfortunately, I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of externals, outward uh, attractiveness. And, uh, you know, the old adage at Bible college when I was in Bible college was, be careful of falling in love with the dimple, you'll wake up with the woman. And that's the idea, right? That, that there's more to marriage and there's more to a relationship and there's more to this than just simply, I need somebody to hang out with. This is an important decision, and and finding the right one is a good thing. And when you follow God's word, and you look for somebody who is seeking the Lord like you are, guess what happens? You begin to realize, notice the second part of the verse, and obtains favor from God. You realize, not only has the Lord given me this other person, the Lord gave me my wife as a blessing to me, But it itself is also an incredible blessing to have her around as a product of following God's word and having discernment. 
When, when you do what God asks you to do, and you have wisdom and discernment, and you realize that character and godliness matter, guess what? That's a good thing. And you will see God's blessings on that. How many of us have met people who got married rashly, now they have massive issues in their marriage, and you would say, yeah, I kind of saw that one coming, right? Here the idea is this. You follow God's word, you have wisdom, you have discernment. You will, you will see how God blesses you by acting wisely. You will see how God blesses you as you have discernment. Now notice the next thing in verse 25 and verse 24. He says, the poor uses entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. This is a really difficult proverb. Uh, it's difficult because in this section... This is the section where you normally have the righteous do this and the wicked do this. And in this verse, it's really hard to determine which is the righteous and which is the wicked. Though it is likely, it is likely that we see this truth and this reality, that the poor use entreaties. This word for entreaties means to pray, to beg, uh, to ask because there's a need, right? So the idea is, is that those who have nothing... They have no recourse but to ask for something. But, the, but, but notice this indication in the next statement. It says, but the rich answer roughly. Now, this word for roughly is this idea of hard, of unbending, of arrogant, of unwilling. So, so you almost get the sense that verse 23 is, is discussing a principle that we talked about earlier in this chapter of a rich man builds a castle out of his riches and thinks he is protected by those riches. So it is likely that the rich man here is a miser and and he sees someone who's in need, who comes to him and says, I have a legitimate need and you can legitimately fulfill that need and out of hardness, bitterness, miserliness, greed, he does not give and gives a no Go deal with it yourself, right? That's the idea. Not a very good friend, right? Not a very good friend. But notice what he says in verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than, than a brother. So in a sense, we see this. In verse 23 and 24, we have this idea of loyalty, right? Or love. A fool doesn't love, right? He's concerned for himself, And he may even accumulate for himself many companions, right? Many companions, but notice, he may come to ruin. With all of his companions, he may come to ruin. And the question is, why would so many people cause this one to come to ruin? And the answer is simple. These aren't good friends. They're they're the wrong kind of friends. These are the people that will not give the right kind of advice that will cause somebody to go towards Jesus. This is the wrong kind of advice, right? This is, this is so many people speaking into this person's life that the person gets confused and walks away from the Lord. But, but notice what it says next. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This friend is different than the companions. This friend is different than the rich who answers roughly, no. This is a friend that is built on something stronger than blood. And the question is, what's stronger than blood? What would be stronger than blood? Here it would be built on the fear of the Lord. That's what's stronger than blood, right? When you have a friend 
whom you believe the same thing. You have a friend who genuinely cares that you live for the Lord, genuinely cares about the gospel, genuinely cares about you, doesn't care that you can offer them something or you don't, that you, that you, have, you bring some sort of value. Like, if I become a friend with so-and-so, he'll let me do this. No, I, I like you for you based upon the fear of the Lord. And it's this type of friendship that is stronger than a brother. It's this type of friend that will stay with you till the very end, right? What does Jesus say in John 15? No greater love than this, that a man lays down his life for a friend. That's, that's this here. That's, th- this type of friend is one who loves the Lord and loves you because he loves the Lord. And he is willing to, or she's willing to, stick with you regardless of whether you have something or you don't, right? They like you for you. And, and the basis of that friendship is the fear of the Lord. Many times, things get really complicated as you start to meet more and more people and you start to have more and more comp, uh, uh, acquaintances. And your interests and what people ask you to do and places where you go to, adv- to get advice... That's a really serious thing. But if you use wisdom and discernment, and the basis of this is the gospel, the basis of this is we're like-minded, the basis, the basis of the friendship is I, I want Christ to be honored and glorified in our friendship together, and, and it's based off of that. That is a bond that is incredibly strong, incredibly strong. You only get that if you're walking with the Lord. You only get that if you have discernment and wisdom and you're walking by the Spirit and you are around people who are doing the same thing. That's really where you can find that. You just don't stumble across this. This, this is something that, that happens when you're in a place where other people are seeking to honor and, and glorify the Lord as well. And when you get a friend like this, because they don't come around very often, when you do get a friend like this or friends like this, is that not an incredible blessing from the Lord to know that you have somebody that you can tell them anything? They will pray for you. They will give you godly advice. And they will not change the way that they talk to you when they learn things about your life. That is an incredible, an incredible person. When you have nothing, they're still there. When you have everything, they're there. They don't care about the stuff you have. They care about you. It's an incredible blessing. Notice in 19.1, once again, notice what he says. He says, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Like I said before, it is always better to follow the Lord. Obviously, no one wants to be poor. And if I could be rich and godly, I would do that, right? If you remember the fiddler on the roof, remember when he sings the song, If I Was a Rich Man, right? He talks about this. He talks about, would it be such a bad thing? Would it upset some cosmic divine plan if you just gave me a little bit extra, right? But the idea is, is it doesn't matter. How much you have or how much you don't have really has nothing to do with your walk with the Lord. The most important thing is that you walk with the Lord. It's always better to walk with the Lord. It is always better. That's what it's saying. And, and, and by the Lord's power, by the Spirit, because we know the gospel and we spend time reading the word and because the Holy Spirit's making us into Christ, 
I think we begin to see it is always better to follow the Lord. It's always better to follow the Lord. Even if that means I have to give up something. Even if that means I'm losing something. That's okay. It's always better to follow the Lord. It's not good to become like the fool in the second part of the verse who will twist things. He's twisted in his speech. This word for twisted can mean a couple things. One, it has the idea of a twisted view of what is good, right? So he twists what's good. It's a a sense of somebody perverting speech. They're they're taking something that's holy and something that's honorable, and they're, they're twisting it to make it into a joke. They're perverting it. Could speak of somebody who's telling a lie, right? Could tell of somebody who's not representing the facts the right way so that you do something that, that benefits them. And the question is, why would somebody do this? Well, I think it's clear they would do this for riches because that becomes then the discussion later. And so it's always better to follow the Lord, even if that means you're going to be poor. And, and I'll be honest. There has never been a time where I have followed the Lord and I was disappointed. I remember numerous times uh, when I was in Bible college, I don't think Krista, if we got together and we rubbed all of our pennies together, I think we might have had three. And uh, we definitely didn't have enough money for gas to go places, but I still had to preach. And there's this strange divine arithmetic that happens where you only have a half a tank of gas. Somehow, Somehow you end up traveling an hour and a half on a half a tank of gas, somehow you just get your gas tank filled from going from place to place. People just randomly give you money. The Lord takes care of you. You do what the Lord asks you to do. You trust him. You have discernment. Guess what? The Lord takes care of you. This is what he does. So it's always better. I've never been disappointed. But I will say this. Every time I've walked by the flesh, I've always been disappointed. It, it has always caused hurt and pain. And that then becomes then the, the, the subject of the next couple verses. Is what, what happens when we walk by the flesh? What, what happens when we, when we stop living for the Lord? What happens when we're no longer living by the Spirit? Well, there's these self-inflicted pains and troubles and problems that we put on ourselves. Notice in verse 2. It says, Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet, misses his ways. So this word for desire, it's a really difficult word to translate. Uh, some of your translations, if, if you're not reading from the ESV, may even say the soul, the soul of a man who doesn't know God. Th- that's the word. The word is nefesh, and the word can, has this spectrum of meaning. It either means breath, it can mean life, it can mean a person, It can mean the immaterial part of a person. It can mean your appetites. It can mean the way you think. It can mean uh, your character. That is a huge meaning. And you go, well, how do you determine the meaning? Well, it's always the context. And I think here, the idea of desire is probably the best. But it's not like, oh, I really desire a ham sandwich today after church. This is more of a one of those deep-seated desires, right? One of those desires that when people talk to you and they listen to you and you talk about what you want in life, it's those things that help define you as a person, right? It's those really deep, down desires. So notice, a desire without knowledge, and here knowledge 
you could easily translate knowledge of God. You could input knowledge of God and his will. So basically, any time that a person has a desire that does not originate from God, knowing God, knowing God through Christ, knowing his will as revealed in Scripture, any desire that comes from somewhere else other than that, that's not appropriate in God's timing, is not good. If we could clean that up a little bit, we would say any desire of the flesh. That's really what he's saying, right? Any desire of the flesh is not good. And notice what it says. It says, whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. The sense you get is that once somebody gets this desire from the flesh, they are insistent, they are quick, and they just do it. They just go. I desire to do it. I'm just going to do it. Don't think about the consequences. Just jump, right? It's one of those statements where somebody goes up to you and says, hold my Mountain Dew. Watch this. It's those types of things, right? There's a desire, and you do it. No thinking. Why think about the consequences? Just do it. That's what I want. I want to be happy. God wants me to be happy. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do what I desire to do. No thought of what God has to say. And you just jump in. And notice what happens when they, when they, when they run without thinking. They make haste with his feet, meaning he's quick to do this. He's insistent, and he just misses the road. He just misses his way. You want to talk about a self-inflicting problem? How about just walking, not knowing where you're going, and just falling off of the path? That's a really good way to hurt yourself, right? Any, any person who's ever walked outdoors knows, don't do that. That's dumb. You will hurt yourself. Spiritually, that's what these people do. They don't consult God. They, they, they don't think about what God wants. They just, that's what I want to do. This is going to make me feel happy. This is going to make me feel fulfilled. I'm just going to do it. And when they do it, they inflict themselves with this terrible thing. They miss the way. They go, they go off the way. They leave the Lord. They go into sin and they're ruined. That, that's, that's a problem, right? How many times, you don't have to raise your hand, unless you want to and you want everybody to know that you're a sinner, uh, but how many times have you done this where you've had a desire from the flesh, there was like that moment where you're like, this isn't good, and you go, ah, I don't care. I'm just going to do that. It's going to make me feel good, right? The waitress accidentally messed up your order. You just want to yell at her just to make yourself feel better because she messed up your order. You can just do it. And guess what? Never turns out good, right? It, it's a self-inflicting wound and problem. Now there's another one. Notice in verse 3. It says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So verse 3 points this out. It's possible for me to walk in foolishness. It's possible for me not to think about God's word, to think about his attributes, to think about his ways. For me to not be walking by the Spirit, not be contemplating Christ and, and, and the fact that he died on the cross for my sins, that he, he, was, he was buried and he rose again on the third day, and that he's making me more into his image, right? I don't think about that. I, I, I live by the flesh. And when I live by the flesh, guess what the consequence of that is? Ruin. For us as believers, it could be like this temporal ruin, right, of hurt relationships. We, 
we do something and we damage something and it can't be repaired, it, it could even be a long-lasting ruin. I mean, it could, be, could result in a loss of a job. It could, relo- it could be a lot of things, right? But every time you act fleshly, there is a negative consequence. Now, here the fool does something that we should never do, right? When we act foolish and fleshly, the response should be, as we're reading God's word and we see God as he calls out our sin, we go, God is right. I am sinning. God is holy. He is right that I am not. You then go to him and say, I am wrong and I'm sorry for this. Help me. Will you forgive me? That's repentance, right? That's what a believer should do, according to 1 John 1, 9, right? Confess your sins. This person does the opposite of that. Notice it says, his heart rages against the Lord. This word for rages means he's angry, he's embittered. It's like the idea that he wants to do what he wants to do, and when the consequences happen, he gets angry at God for allowing the consequences to happen. He's embittered against God for allowing a consequence of his sin to come about. And so instead of admitting his sin and repenting, he says, How dare you? How dare you, Lord, do this to me? Why are you always picking on me? Understand, friends, that is a terrible attitude. And if you find yourself in that situation, that's pretty bad. I also want you to notice one thing. Notice that folly... And fleshly desires are also really closely tied to a bad theology of the Lord, really closely tied to blasphemy, right? When you do what you want to do and those consequences happen, you blame God. It's God's fault that this is happening to me. And instead of thinking about your own ways, not accepting culpability. Now, I've met people. I've done this myself. I'm sure you've done this. and We've also met people who, when confronted with their sin, refuse to listen. And there is nothing more self-inflicting problems and pain in your life than refusing to repent and confess your sins. As believers, we should be ready all the time to confess our sins. This causes lots of problems. Now, there's another one. Notice the rest of, the, of our text this morning from verses 4 to verse 7 kind of deals with this weird thing about friendship, and it talks about how the fool thinks about friends. Uh, notice, notice what it says. It says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. That's true, isn't it? You win the lottery, all of a sudden you have new friends you didn't even know you had. You have relatives you didn't even know you had. All of a sudden people show up to your door. Hey, you remember me? We used to go to high school together. No, I I don't remember you. Oh, we were best of friends. Remember that one time in the car with the thing? Come on, you could give me some money, right? Those types of things. It's amazing. Wealth can make many new friends. If you have a lot of stuff, a lot of people want to be your friend, right? Once again, I'm going to call back to Fiddler on the Roof. Remember that scene where he's singing that song, If I Were a Rich Man? Remember that part in that song where he says, If I was a rich man, I would sit in the town square and people would come up to me and ask for my advice and I would give them advice whether it was right or wrong. That's the idea here, right? He understands. Rattavia understands. 
When you're rich and you have a lot to offer to somebody, people don't care about you. They care about your stuff. They want your stuff. They're not real friends. They're friends with your stuff. So obviously when you think about people in this terms, what can I get from him and and his friendship is valuable to me because he's valuable, then the next part then makes sense when it says, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Well, why would, why would a friend desert a poor man? Well, because the whole basis of the friendship was, what can I get from this person? And if I can't get anything from you, then you're not valuable, right? Why do I spend time with you? You have nothing to give me. Understand this. This type of view of people, based off of what they have and what they can give us, dehumanizes us. It dehumanizes the other. The person is not a person. The person is a means to get what I want. Think about God's wisdom in the gospel for a moment. Think about how it is radically different from this. We don't look at people based off of, or at least we shouldn't. You have something to offer me, therefore I'm going to be your friend so I can get something from you. What is our response as believers? I want you to be complete, so go to Christ. What's our attitude as believers? To love one another, to not ask for anything back in return. Notice that the gospel humanizes people. I appreciate people for being human, being made in the image of God. This view of folly makes friendship a transaction. It makes it a business relationship. I gotta be honest. If you view people like a business transaction, you are causing a lot of pain and problems for you in the future because people pick up on that and guess what you won't have a lot of friends if you just view them as means to an end for your own profit now some people they'll do anything for these new rich friends notice in verse five a false witness will will not go unpunished he will breathe out lies will not escape, meaning if you bear false witness, you will be punished, and if you lie, you will be found out. But there is a very strong connection between verse 5 and verse 4 of when you get a new friend who has a lot of money, guess what? You're willing to do a lot of favors for him. And then notice in verse 6, many seek the favor of a generous man. Everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Think about it. Think about the old gangsters, right? Al Capone. Man gave a lot of money to charity. Did you know that? He was incredibly generous. He was also incredibly generous to judges, to policemen, to politicians. He also did a lot of bad stuff and killed a lot of people, but everybody loved him because he gave stuff out. Right? So just because somebody gives somebody something doesn't mean that they're great and they're godly. It is possible that people who are foolish and evil realize I can make a lot of friends if I give people a lot of stuff. And when I give out a lot of stuff, they'll do stuff for me. I scratch their back, they scratch my back. They're not true friends. It's a business transaction. So verse 7 is a sad verse. Notice what it says. It says, all a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words but does not have them. Think about that. In a world where people only are as valuable as their paycheck, this means that some people are not valuable and people hate them because they don't have anything of value. Even though they pursue 
though it's quite obvious they are in desperate need, their own blood, their friends will go, I want nothing to do with you. Why? Because a fool only thinks of himself and only views friendships and relationships on the basis of what do I get out of this? That's not God's law. That's not, that's not what's taught in the Old Testament and the New Testament. What, what are we commanded in both of those testaments? To love God supremely and to love our neighbor as ourself. A fool rejects those. He rejects that. I don't love God supremely and I don't love my neighbor as I want to be loved. As believers, if we fall into this, we, we, we are leaving that sense of what Jesus says. He says, they will know you are my disciple by your love for one another. And, and, and our love for one another is marked by Christ who gave his life up for his friends. That's the type of love that we should have for one another. That's the type of love that the Holy Spirit is producing in our life. So if we're not walking by the Spirit, we can and do view people and their value and their friendships based off of what they can give us. That hurts people. That, that's painful. That's self-inflicted wounds. So this text, I think the obvious answer is this. It is always better to follow the Lord. He'll take care of you. You'll see his blessings. Have wisdom. Show discernment. Follow Christ. Walk by the power of the Spirit. He will take care of you. There might be some moments of, I don't know what's going on, but I guarantee you on the other side, it is far better to follow the Lord all the way. The other thing is the warning of the self-inflicted, selfish, fleshly mentality of thinking. When you think fleshly, you're not walking by the power of the Spirit. You're not spending time in God's Word. You're not repenting of your sins. You're, you're, you're not fellowshipping with other like-minded believers. You're not, you're not doing those basic disciplines of a believer. And, and, and your focus is on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ you will inflict so much pain and problems on your life. It's just not worth it. You will hurt relationships, you will hurt yourself, and there's just all these consequences that you, can't, that you wouldn't have noticed, and now all of a sudden you're living them. So I hope, by God's grace, that we will continue to follow the Lord and seek his favor and walk by the power of his spirit and wisdom and discernment and not go around... Um, sabotaging ourselves and our walk with the Lord and our relationships with others. May the Lord give us the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this text that teaches us these incredible truths. And we just ask that as we um, leave this place that we will continue to say to ourselves, it is always better to follow you We pray that your spirit would be working on our hearts and that this sentiment would be tattooed to our soul, that it's always better to follow you. Give us the will and the ability and the desire to follow you. Give us us the tenacity to continue to follow you, regardless of what may come. We are so very thankful for Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who makes us brand new. And we just ask that we would live in a way that's honoring to him. We pray for safety as we go home and safety as we come back tonight. That uh, we would be able to talk about what you've done this past year. And to help us look into 
look into the future of what you would have for us in the future. We just thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen.